Deputy Salverson is on the case today. We're talking about the second episode of Fargo's first season, The Rooster Prince. This is Scott Seth Indulgent Movie Podcast. movie friends welcome to scott's self-indulgent movie podcast and today we're continuing our coverage of fargo uh, the episode by episode breakdowns moving on to an episode called the rooster prince and like many of the as i mentioned all the episodes in this season all have this either you know philosophical <laughs> or a, you know paradoxical logic problem uh title to them which is always interesting but from here we're dealing with particularly the aftermath of the climactic events of the first episode which involved a lot of murder so this is a lot of people trying to sort out said murders so without further ado let's get started there's a lot of reactions to tragedy some people look for answers other people look for retribution and some people seemingly process it without a care and move on which is very appropriate because these are the three reactions to episode one's aftermath and episode two, The Rooster Prince. The second episode deals with the fallout from the previous episode. We start with the two noir characters, the deaf Mr. Wrench and his compatriot Mr. Numbers, who've been sent by the Fargo Crime Syndicate to find out who murdered Sam Hess. I love them, but we'll get into that later. By the episode's end, they've picked up the wrong guy for the crime, but kill him anyway. On the police end, Molly is trying her absolute hardest to put the pieces together and has rightfully honed her focus on Lester. Unfortunately, the new chief, who is promoted by default, Bob Odenkirk's Bill Oswald, is not helpful. He believes it was the work of a lone drifter and can't imagine that his childhood friend Lester could murder his wife. When Molly's diplomatic pleas fall flat and she continues to hound Lester, she's removed from the case. Meanwhile, Lord Malvo takes up his newest assignment, tracking down a blackmailer for Duluth Supermarket King, and Gus Grimley realizes that he stopped and let a murder suspect go. So let's get into the Fargo stuff for this episode. The most obvious ode to the original film is Mr. Wrench and Mr. Numbers, who read like a more competent version of Steve Buscemi's Mortarmouth Goon and Peter Stromer's Silent Killer. In addition, both men being hit... Hitman, almost all of their scenes are played for laugh via bickering, translations to ASL, and broad physical comedy. This is also the episode that reveals Molly Salverson is actually our Marge Gunderson character and clearly the most gifted detective in the show. We're also introduced to the closest tie this film has, but we don't know that yet. More on it later. So let's start with the title. The title of this episode is the Rooster Prince is a reference to a Jewish parable of the same name. The story is about a prince who goes insane and believes he is a rooster. After everyone else fails to convince him otherwise, a wise man appears and begins acting like a rooster. Pretty soon, he's able to get the prince to put on human clothes because that's what roosters do. This progresses until the prince is cured, the lesson being you need to meet people where they are instead of you know talking up to where you want them to be. To my mind, though, Bob Oswald is the Rooster Prince, in that he is a very powerful man who seems to completely, is completely unable to accept the reality and believe anything different than what he already believes. Molly attempts to be very diplomatic with him, meeting him where he's at, but Bob is way out of his depth here. He wants simple answers to keep his world simple. And while it's unspoken, Molly wants justice, not just for her friend, but also because of the guilt she's carrying, since it was supposed to be her house call. 
Molly does her best to accommodate Bob's easing into the job, but it doesn't work. He thinks he's a rooster when he's actually police chief. And he's acting like a cocky dick, so there's that. This is a real turn of the knife, too, because Vern made a point of saying Bob was incompetent and that Molly would be chief one day. And now Bob is chief because Vern died and in charge of investigating Vern's murder. That sucks. Now we're talking about Fallout. If episode 1 was a boulder rolling down a hill, episode 2 is about the fallout of the boulder after it's made contact. In Malvo's case, it means he's got Mr. Wrench and Mr. Numbers from the Fargo Crime Syndicate on his tail. And I love these guys. I like everything about them. I like how they bicker like brothers. I like how Mr. Numbers insists on translating everything to ASL so his buddy knows what's being said, especially since Russell Harvard is a very talented deaf actor with great presence. But as fun as they are, they're also bad news for this quiet community. Not just because they go around interrogating people, but as the end of the episode shows, they have no problem killing the wrong guy to cover their tracks. What's worse, the guy they're looking for isn't even there. Malvo has taken up his next job, which is finding out who's blackmailing the Duluth supermarket king. Admittedly, this doesn't have much impact on the story yet, but it is interesting to see Malvo in a professional situation for the first time. He's clearly been hired and has a good idea who's behind it, and so there's more fallout to come. It's also interesting to see how fake and lizard-like he looks when he's trying to have these professional conversations. And then we get to Gus Grimley, who is grappling with letting Malvo go. He's, in a, he's defensive in conversation with his daughter, where they have a minor moral argument about whether or not you should do the right thing always. An argument she essentially wins when Grimley discovers he let a murder suspect's car go. What I like here is that his daughter's moral clarity seems to be giving him strength to do what needs to be done, to come clean and admit what he did, which he will do soon. Much like the Rooster Prince, if he starts acting like a cop, maybe he'll be a good one. And finally, we have Lester, who is acting like the most suspicious man in the world while trying to play the grief card. Molly rightly doesn't believe it due to the inconsistencies in his story and the evidence, and it's clear the stress and guilt is eating Lester up. And we've got a perfect visual metaphor with this in a piece of buckshot in his hand. They never address why Lester doesn't get it removed, but I think this is the beginning of, of a running theme with his character. That he'd much rather fix his problems himself than admit weakness, even though he's just a giant baby. Again, we have someone trying to act like something they're not. In this case, Lester pretending to be an innocent man. But either Molly or an infection are going to take him down. But only time will tell. This has been Scott's Self-Indulgent Movie Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to join our Facebook group, Scott's Self-Indulgent Movie World. Thank you so much for listening. Catch you next time, everybody. Stay safe.